And welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News. Brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday, the 28th of April, 2022, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition. With me to read the articles today is Moira Lowe, together with our sound engineer, Alex Gwynn. Welcome both. We are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope that everyone enjoys this offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres now, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Obituaries are nowadays placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays, so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767 766, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start off with birthdays. Okay, so um, this week's birthdays are on the 6th of May, Marilyn Kendall. And the 7th of May, Evelyn Stevens. So, happy birthday to you when we reach those dates. Happy birthday, everyone. And now the thought for the week. And this is St Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 45 to 47. Jesus opened the minds of his disciples so they could understand the scriptures. He told them... This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And now some useful telephone numbers. You've already had the number for... Colin Chance House. Police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 
five 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 one one one. Worcester Hub, Worcester seven six five seven six five. Worcester Live, that is the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, and the Henry Sandon Hall. Worcester six double one four two seven. Malvern Theatres zero one six eight four eight nine double two double seven. Out of Hours Medical Services one one one, and Samaritans one one six one two three. And that's a free phone number. So now we'll move on to the headlines, and I'll ask Moira to start with last Friday's headline and article. Okay, so the headline is "Fake Sales Go Up in Smoke." A Worcester shopkeeper has pleaded guilty to selling illegal cigarettes and tobacco following multiple raids by trading standards officers, assisted by officers from West Mercia Police. Ali Ahmad, 35, of Shap Drive, Worcester, admitted possessing and selling counterfeit and illegal cigarettes and tobacco from the International Food and Drink Store in Lowesmore, Worcester, when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court earlier this year. During raids on July the 28th, 2020 and September the 13th and 27th, 2021, a team, including a specialist tobacco sniffer dog, found significant quantities of counterfeit, non-duty paid and illegal cigarettes and tobacco that did not carry the legally required safety warnings. The court heard that during the three visits, 884 packets of cigarettes and 124 pouches of hand-rolling tobacco were seized. The total street value of the seized goods was over £4,000, with a retail value in excess of £10,000 if the goods had been genuine. Ahmad was given a 12-month community order with 250 hours of unpaid work and ordered to pay costs totalling £3,500. Simon Wilkes, head of Worcester Regulatory Services, said the sale of illegal tobacco products is a scourge on communities. The low prices charged for the product encourages youngsters into smoking deprives the exchequer of funds and damages local businesses that sell cigarettes responsibly and legitimately. We will continue to act against anyone found to be involved in the storage, distribution or supply of illegal tobacco. This is another great result for our small team of trading standards officers working in partnership with our colleagues at West Mercia Police. To report a business selling counterfeit or unsafe goods, contact the Citizens Advice Consumer Service on 0808 223 1133. And now the headline and article for Saturday and Sunday, April the 23rd and 24th. Lock Jump Fears. Warning as dangerous stunt filmed. A gang of teenagers are dangerously leaping across the canal and coaxing other children to attempt to jump. Thomas Neal, 67, 
caught the youngsters leaping across Billford Top Lock near Billford Road on his door camera numerous times and has reported it to West Mercia Police. He and others fear a child could end up dying if they were to misjudge the distance and fall into the water. He said, The first incident was on Monday afternoon, and I posted stills of the video on a Facebook group as the person had actually trespassed onto my property. The second incident was on Tuesday, and the kids were a lot younger. It was difficult to make out the dialogue, but appeared that they were persuading the one to jump. He continued, It was over about six months minutes before he jumped and landed only just across. As they had not been on my land and were much younger, I have not posted the images as I am not sure about the legalities although quite a few people on social media said they wanted to know if their child was involved. We have noticed at school out time it happens regularly, especially on Fridays for some reason. I've spoken to the school and Councillor Neil Lawrenson, who also spoke to the school, and they promised a letter to parents and another mention in assembly. Mr Neil estimates the people he has seen jumping have been aged 13 to 15. He has reported the incident to the police and is waiting for a member of the Safer Neighbourhood team to contact him. West Mercia Police confirmed that officers have received reports of people jumping over locks on the Birmingham and Worcester Canal in Worcester. West Mercia Police urges everyone to enjoy the waterways in our region safely. Water can contain dangers that cannot be seen from the surface and care should be taken at all times. Anyone who experiences difficulties in the water should call 999. Councillor Karen Lawrence said, I was brought up around the corner from there and it was not something we tried then. In 2016, 17-year-old Sean Stevens died after falling into the canal at Billford Top Lock. He had been shadow boxing with his friends before the accident on March. In December 2011, 12-year-old Robert Fido, who could not swim, died at Starport Lock, as there were no life rings nearby. His friend said that they had been cycling near the canal when Robert insisted on crossing the lock via the narrow bridge rather than using a bigger bridge further up. OK, my headline is from Monday the 25th of April. Man hurt in crash. Eyewitnesses have spoken of their shock after a man was hit by a vehicle in Worcester city centre. Police say a pedestrian suffered very serious injuries after being hit near a roundabout in St Martin's Gate. Officers blocked off St Martin's Gate at the junction with the roundabout outside Pure Gym as officers and paramedics dealt with the incident. West Mercia Police said the person had walked out in front of the vehicle 
unintentionally and been struck at about 7.10pm on Friday evening. A spokesman added that there were no signs that any poor driving took place. Austin Bagg said he was driving along St Martin's Gate towards Pure Gym at about 7.15 on Friday evening. I was driving that way from the roundabout and saw a man fall and hit the pavement, he said. It was really shocking. I was glad to see so many people on the phone and going toward the man to help, but it was a fairly traumatic thing to see. Passers-by performed first aid on the injured man as they waited for the emergency services to arrive. Caitlin Scott was heading for a night out with friends Chloe Scott, Morgan Henderson and Sophie Robotham when they stopped to help the man. It was my birthday and I was in a taxi coming into town to go to the pub, said Caitlin. As I came round the roundabout, I saw the man on the floor, half in the road and half on the path. Me and my mates jumped out of the taxi and all got out as we are all first aid trained. We started doing what we could to help the man, starting by cutting his trousers to put pressure on the man's leg and pressure on the man's head. We did the best we could. The police cordon included the entrance to Pure Gym when members were not able to go in on Friday evening. Now, Tuesday, April the 26th. My children's health is failing. Mother's anger as mould problem in home drags on. A Worcester mum of two children has criticised a housing association over severe mould growth in her flat affecting their health. Lucy Smith of Willis Place, St John's, Worcester, lives in a flat managed by Platform Housing with her two young daughters, Isla Grace, three, and Willow Rose, four. Ms Smith feels platform housing is responsible for the mould and has said the issue was first reported in October. She said, I have been trying to get out of this property now for the last three years as mine and my children's physical health is failing due to, to platform housing's mistakes. My daughters and I have three beds in one room of this tiny flat and all suffer from asthma. The mould has caused multiple chest infections for us all, as well as general chesty coughs. We originally shared this with Platform back in October, but the issue was only acknowledged in January of this year, as I was told they had no record of me lodging the complaint. She claims she was told by Platform Housing that the issue would take no more than six weeks to be rectified, but delays pushed the issue back to ten weeks before anyone attended the property to resolve the situation. She said, The mould growth became so bad that we had to report it to environmental health. When somebody eventually came... They scraped away the mould and Platform later provided a sum of compensation for the delay. The compensation was not what I was reporting this for. It's myself and my children's health that have suffered due to the situation. According to the NHS, mould and dampness are caused by excess moisture which can be caused by leaking pipes, 
rising damp in basements or ground floors, or rain seeping in because of damage to the roof or around window frames. According to the NHS, mould produces allergens, irritants and sometimes toxic substances. Inhaling or touching mould spores may cause an allergic reaction such as sneezing, a runny nose, red eyes, skin rash and asthma attacks. Marion Duffy, Chief Operations Officer at Platform, said, We are really sorry to hear about this situation for our customer. Looking after the health and well-being of our customers is paramount. One of our operatives has visited our customer at her home and has arranged with them for the works required to be carried out. Okay, my headline is from Wednesday, April the 27th. Fly high, my little man. A two-year-old boy who died following a dog attack in a Worcestershire village has been named as Lawson Bond. The toddler suffered serious injuries following an attack in Egdon, which is between Worcester and Evesham, on March the 28th. His family began to transport him to the hospital themselves, but stopped at Worcester Woods Country Park en route on the advice of the ambulance service. Lawson was taken to Worcester Royal Hospital by ambulance before being transferred to Birmingham Children's Hospital, where he died on March the 30th. A date has been set for a pre-inquest review which will take place at Worcester Coroner's Court in Starport on Wednesday, August the 31st. Emotional tributes have been paid to Lawson in the days and weeks following his death. Sue Hemming of Worcester said, Huge high five, beautiful Lawson. You're so loved by so many. Fly high, little man, Sue and Felix. Donna George of Worcester said, R.I.P. little man, fly high with the angels, you will be sadly missed by all your family and friends. R.I.P. little man, such a shame, thinking about the family at this sad time, said Jodie Pegler of Worcester. Superintendent Rebecca Love, local policing commander for South Worcestershire, confirmed Lawson's death in a press conference outside Worcester Police Station on Wednesday, March 30th. She added, this is a truly tragic incident and our thoughts are with the family at this very difficult time. An investigation continues and I would ask for your respect for the family's privacy at this very distressing time. Three Rottweilers that were removed from the property following the attack were housed securely by West Mercia Police for a number of weeks before being put down. A spokesman for West Mercia Police speaking on last week said... I can confirm that the three dogs which were seized as part of the investigation into the dog attack in Egdon have now been put to sleep. Other than that, there are no updates at the moment. There have been no arrests and the investigation is ongoing. And the last headline and article is for today, Thursday, April the 28th. Broken Promises. Fury at further delays finishing estate. People frustrated that a heavily delayed housing estate is still not finished after various promises have been told there will be another month's wait. St Modwen told us in November final touches were underway to Vagorian Park with a 12-week deadline set. 
but that deadline was missed. In February, the developer then said it would all be completed by March the 11th. But this week, residents got in touch to tell us it was still not finished. The Romney Way, including the entrance to the estate off Whittington Road, is the main area still left to do. Cars were having to slalom around two fenced-off drain covers on the bend, while there were also high curbs and pavements to finish, forcing people to walk in the road. One person, who did not want to be named, said, Residents are furious. The 12-week programme from November 2021 is still far from finished and won't be until at least June. Residents we spoke to on the estate said the deadlines set had been broken promises and were also raising the inconvenience that will be caused by a planned closure of the entrance road on May the 6th. One told us, we won't be able to get in and out of our homes that day. This road should have been done ages ago. St Modwin recently sent letters to residents on the estate, which said, We would like to notify you about upcoming remedial works to the roads and footpaths. Footpaths will be completed between May the 3rd and May the 5th. The road up to 31 Romney Way will be completed on May the 6th. This requires a road closure between the hours of 9am to 1pm with no access in or out of the development. Section 278 works will commence May the 3rd and will be completed by the end of May. Four outstanding streetlights will be installed May the 9th. We apologise for any inconvenience this may cause whilst these essential works are carried out. Thank you in advance for your assistance. Beltex Drive and Dalesbread Road did appear to finally have been completed with residents living there saying it was a relief. And other residents said... Current criticism was a little unfair on the developer as the closure to the entrance was needed to finish the roadworks. St Modwin Homes was asked for comment, but a spokesperson told us there was no further comment to provide at this stage. Now for one of the sports articles from this last week and this is about Worcester Warriors with a new player having been signed. Russian signs up. Warriors recruit prop as rivals given points. A mixed 24 hours has seen Worcester Warriors sign an international prop but saw rivals Gloucester awarded five points for the cancelled Gallagher Premiership class between the sides. Experienced Russian loosehead prop Valery Morozov will be reunited with Steve Diamond when he joins Warriors from Bath for next season. 
Morozov, 27, has been capped 33 times and was signed by Diamond at sale in 2019. He becomes the sixth new signing by Diamond, who said, I have known Valeri for the time I had coaching Russia, and he is an exceptional athlete. He's a very humble person, with a fantastic work ethic, and he will be a superb addition to our squad. Morozov, whose wife is Ukrainian, played volleyball as a youngster, but converted to rugby with Zelenograd, his hometown club. Morozov was a member of the sales side that won the Premiership Rugby Cup two years ago, and after a stint at CSKA Moscow, joined Bath in December. He said, I enjoyed playing for Steve Diamond at Sale, and I'm looking forward to working with him again at Worcester Warriors. I know how Steve works and what he expects from his players. I'm excited to be joining the club and hope that I can help Warriors become a top six premiership club and one who competes regularly in the Heineken Champions Cup. Gloucester have seen their playoff hopes boosted after being awarded a bonus point win from the cancelled match. But Worcester looked to have avoided any censure following a Premiership Rugby review. Warriors were unable to field the required six match squad front rowers for, for the March the 25th clash at Kingsholm. Sport Resolutions formed an independent panel to decide the result of the match, chaired by Sir Gary Hickenbottom, and also comprising Carol Kaus and Jonathan Rennie. Worcester's lead rugby consultant Steve Diamond insisted on Wednesday that the Warriors had been hamstrung by Covid, but the panel's judgment has rejected that claim. A Premiership rugby statement said, The match result shall be 20-0 in favour of Gloucester, and that, in respect of the match, Gloucester shall be awarded five league points. A reasoned decision will follow as soon as possible, and hopefully within the next week. Worcester acknowledged the decision in a short statement, but said they would wait for the publication of the full reasoned decision before making further comment. Gloucester welcomed the decision, but revealed they could yet seek compensation over the cancelled fixture. A club statement said, We are grateful to the independent panel who have been through in their, investora, in, in their investigations in this manner. Gloucestershire Rugby will continue to liaise with the Premiership Rugby following the release of the full judgment to determine next steps in regard to compensation. We look forward to now turning our attention to key fixtures ahead of us as we approach the end of the season competing in three competitions. The two clubs clash at King's Home on Wednesday in the Premiership Rugby Cup semi-final. Well, now we'll read some of the published letters from this week. 
and we start with one that's headed it's not a world i recognize anymore and it's from julie reynolds of st john's dear editor it is with great sadness that i write to you today i just want to be able to pick up a handset and make a call from a landline to make an appointment by actually speaking to another human being. I don't want to be told by a patronising voice that we are currently very busy, so could I make an appointment online? No. Just answer the damn phone. I don't want to be interrogated by a sanctimonious receptionist about why I am not wearing a mask and could I put some sanitizer on my hands. I would like to be able to just get an appointment to see my GP, if I need to, without having to jump through hoops or having endless text messages asking me to fill out the questionnaire on the website about my weight and height to update the records or inquiring when I would like my 20th booster jab. I don't want to hear any more about Partygate or Net Zero or Russia and Ukraine. I'm fed up with seeing people incessantly staring intently at the screen of a mobile phone and I find the fact that the vast majority of the population appear to be surgically joined to their mobile phones and unable to conduct their lives without them. I find it terrifying. What if the phone told them to walk under the nearest bus? I have a nasty suspicion that many would do just that under the bus they would go. I don't recognise the world I grew up in anymore and I don't much like the world I find myself in now. I just hope that wherever I am going when I shuffle off this mortal coil is better. Now a letter read by Moira. Okay, my letter is from Francis Lancaster of Worcester. Dear Editor, I'm not personally opposed to the Archbishop of Canterbury or any religious leader opining on politics. Faith is lived in the world, but one's moral compass must be aligned the right way. The illegal channel crossings undermine both our laws and the commitment of immigrants who stick to the rules and do things the right way. Both in the Mediterranean and the Channel, people are being trafficked by gangsters and they risk danger of death and people do die. So, we should be morally guided to prevent these deaths. The Rwandan option contributes to this. What happened previously in Australia is instructive. The Labour government welcomed boat people to land on the country's shores. It received plaudits from around the world, including from religious leaders for this virtuous policy. But more than a thousand people drowned on the way. The following Conservative government turned boats away and insisted asylum applications were made in a third country. It was condemned by the same people who had praised the previous policy. 
but the number of deaths was negligible. Who actually cared more about upholding the law, fighting the evil people traffickers and saving lives? The welcoming left or the unwelcoming right? Churchmen may give their views, but woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's from um, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. And now one headed Family Tree Help Appeal. And it's from a lady called Grace Blashick. Dear Editor, I am researching my family tree and require information on a particular children's home that was situated between Stanley Road and Midland Road on a street called Wild Road. I wonder if she means Wild's Wild Lane. Lane. The home was called Municipal Homes in 1931 and changed its name to Perryfields in 1947. My mother, Sybil Yard, and her twin sister, my aunt, called Greta, entered the home in 1935 after their grandmother, called Alice Malabar, passed away. The parents of Sybil and Greta were called Alice May Malabar and William Henry Yard. I'm looking for any information or photographs about the above children's home, about Alice and William and their daughters Sybil and Greta. Unfortunately, my mother Sybil passed away in 2020, but Greta is still alive and recently turned 89. I would really appreciate any information or photographs that could be provided and I could share with Greta. I don't believe that Alice and William were married after extensively researching for records for several years. I am interested to know what Alice and Williams did during Sybil and Greta's time at the home. Are there any former residents or staff who remember Sybil and Greta or Alice and William? I've discovered that Alice May Malabar married Henry Seabright in possibly 1943 and Sybil and Greta left the home during this time. Any information would be greatly appreciated, especially if you have any information or photographs. If so, please contact me via the following email address, grace.r.blashik, that's B-L-A-S-C-Z-Y-K, at gmail.com. Many thanks. Okay, um, my letter is from Councillor Dan Boatwright, who's the County Councillor for Pershaw. Dear Editor, the South Worcestershire Development Plan is all about developer greed and never about community need. On Thursday, April the 28th, a planning application will go to Witchhaven District Council that could see a huge... 51,637 square mile agricultural facility being built just outside Pinvin and Pershaw. The facility will include a two-storey central building as well as worker accommodation, a water treatment plant and 122 parking spaces. This is no farm, this is a factory. 
It will never see anything planted in the ground. It'll just be paved instead. Huge lorries will move in and out of this facility every day and pollution will increase. And what makes us so angry is this land was never earmarked for development. It has always been farmland and was never included in any development plan. But as it is cheaper than land on industrial estates, companies make excuses about needing to build here because it makes their operations viable. They would still make a healthy profit on the more expensive industrial estate, but they want to make more money. At the expense of the locals and those who use the A44. And when we fight these developments, we get accused of being NIMBYs. This is a huge facility right next to a school. So what is the point of the councils spending hundreds of thousands in taxpayers' money if they're just going to have planners propose developments anywhere? The council keeps allowing development outside of development areas, never takes the environment into consideration, repeatedly ignores concerns of the public and keeps making arguments that it is good for the economy. If you need to build accommodation on the land, you know, you don't have the workers available locally and have to bring people into the area. As usual, developments are proposed without the impacts on local communities being at the heart of decision-making. Hundreds of people have made it clear we do not want this. It will add to congestion, cause a huge environmental impact and increase risk to our waterways from a company that has already been fined in the past for contaminating local waterways. And these issues are not just seen in this case. We see constant building across the area with housing built in areas with pressures on infrastructure, schools and medical facilities. We constantly see reports of the pressures our local hospitals are under and can anyone get an NHS dentist? It is time to give community need the priority, not developer greed. And my last letter comes from Natalie Tambini from People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, Pet Petter. Dear Editor, Make a real impact on the climate catastrophe this Earth Day, April the 22nd, simply by cutting meat, eggs and dairy from your diet. This will reduce your carbon footprint from food by up to 73%, according to researchers at the University of Oxford. Doing so isn't just preferable, it's necessary. In fact, the United Nations says that a global shift towards plant-based eating is urgently needed to combat the worst effects of the climate catastrophe. Animal agriculture is responsible for nearly one-fifth of all human-induced greenhouse gas emissions. It causes immense suffering to gentle cows, pigs, lambs and other animals farm for their flesh. It also takes its toll on the world's rainforests, especially in Latin America, where vast areas are cleared for cattle grazing or to grow animal feed. Vibrant vegan foods are animal-friendly, antibiotic-free and widely available. A healthy plant-based diet has been shown to prevent, and sometimes even reverse, heart disease, diabetes and cancer. 
Make a positive impact on the planet, your own health and animals this Earth Day by choosing vegan. Well, that's the last of our published letters. So we'll move on now to the articles and I'll ask Moira to begin. OK, a Second World War veteran was presented with his 100th birthday card from the Queen by a special guest at his party. Kenneth Endersby celebrated his 100th birthday at Worcestershire County Cricket Club, surrounded by his family. Age UK, Herefordshire and Worcestershire arranged for the Queen's birthday card to be officially delivered by the Deputy Lord Lieutenant of Worcester, Major General Mark Armstrong. He represented the monarch at the event and took time to chat to the centenarian, thanking him for his dedicated service. Mr Endersley of Lower Wick is a Royal Naval veteran, having served on the North Atlantic Convoys and HMS Oxlip during the Arctic Convoys. 78 convoys took place during the war, taking vital supplies to northern Russia. From 1941, more than 3,000 Allied seamen lost their lives under attack in freezing conditions. Mr Endersley went on to serve in the Far East, serving on HMS Valiant until the time of the Japanese surrender in September 1945. At the event, he was also presented with cards made by Worcester Sea Cadets and during the celebration, he gave a speech to thank his family for their wonderful support. Mr Endersley's secret for a long and happy life is good routine and adopting his father's motto, which was, if you can't do any good, don't do any harm. Gemma Warden from Age UK, Hereford and Worcester's Veteran Service, said, It has been an honour for my colleague Steve and I to get to know Mr Endersby for the last few years. He is a remarkable gentleman and deserved a celebration as fabulous as he is. Now, the next article is about something which has become something of a hot potato. Major changes will affect bus services. Changes to bus services in Worcester are coming into effect at the start of next month. First Bus has announced that a wide variety of changes are due to affect bus services in the city as of May the 1st. Some services have stopped running on certain days. Others, rumoured to end services, have been provided with a lifeline. A statement on the First Bus website said, The Covid pandemic has had a significant impact on bus patronage nationally. Our habits and way of life have changed immeasurably. We're making changes to our services in accordance with how and when people are travelling across the working week and at weekends. Service 30, changes are being made to the Monday to Friday afternoon peak timetable. There will also be a change to the Sunday timetable to provide better connections in Crown Gate bus station. Service 31 and 31A, after discussions with Worcestershire County Council... It has been agreed with support from the council the service will operate every 30 minutes, Monday to Friday and hourly on Saturdays. All other journeys will off operate as the current 31A route 
except those between 9.15 and, and 2 o'clock or 2.15, uh, well, which will be 31A, and those buses will run via Coma Road and Larne Road in both directions. Service 32, changes are being made to the Monday to Friday and Saturday timetables. Peak time journeys to and from Kemsey and Bayonhall will remain. Service 35. Changes are being made to the Sunday timetable to provide better connections in Crown Gate bus station. Service 37. After discussions with Worcestershire County Council, it's been agreed with support from the council that the service will operate every 30 minutes, Monday to Friday, during the main day and hourly on Saturdays. Service 44. Changes are being made to the Monday to Friday and Saturday timetables. This service will no longer operate on Sundays. Service 45. Changes made to the Monday to Friday and Saturday timetables. Service X50. To accommodate students travelling into Worcester from the Sixth Form College, we've amended the 7.05 weekday journey from Worcester to Evesham to 6.35. I bet they're grateful. This creates an earlier return journey from Evesham at 7.35 instead of 8.05. Service 51. The Worcester to Evesham journey will no longer operate. The Worcester to Pershaw High School journey will remain. Service 144 and 144A, and I noticed today that this particular alteration actually made the national press. Renumbered 144, all journeys will now operate between Worcester and Cats Hill. In other words, it will not go on to Birmingham. Buses will operate every 20 minutes Monday to Saturday and every 60 minutes on Sundays. Journeys between Cats Hill and Birmingham will no longer operate. And service 420, the... 7.15 journey will now leave at 7.05 to provide an earlier arrival time into Worcester. And I may add to that article that if any of these changes really are going to impact your ability to get around and live your basic life from day to day, please contact your local councillor. I've done that already and it has borne fruit. Moira. Okay, changing uh, tone here, I'm afraid. An alleged paedophile accused of sexually molesting a girl from the age of six says she's making the whole thing up. Leslie Belcher entered the witness box at Worcester Crown Court where he told a jury he had only ever had play fights and rough and tumble with the girl, as well as applying muscle rub and stretching her out after she had been dancing. The 64-year-old of St Clement's Close St John's Worcester denied he had ever spanked her with a belt, tied her up in a horse shelter and stripped her naked, sexually assaulted her or pulled up her top. In total, he denies 14 counts. 10 counts of sexual assault upon a child under 13, one of sexual assault, one of false imprisonment, one of assault a child by penetration and one of causing or inciting a child to engage in sexual activity. 
The charges span a period between November the 4th, 2012 and July the 8th, 2020. With the assistance of an intermediary to assist his understanding, Belcher answered questions from his barrister Giles Nelson and was then cross-examined by prosecutor Daniel Wright. Belcher told the jury he was divorced and suffers from a number of health problems. When asked how often he was ever alone with the complainant, the former cleaner replied, not very often. He accepted that he sometimes acted as a babysitter. Belcher told the jury that he stretched out the complainant to help her back and would apply muscle rub, but that another adult would have been present. On one occasion, he said the complainant had requested he apply muscle rub to her knee, asking him, can't you do it, Les? Belcher denied ever being alone with the complainant at a horse shelter and said he had never lifted up her clothing, exposing her chest. It suggested you sexually interfered with her for many, many years between the ages of six and ten, said Mr Nelson. Belcher replied, no. He added, it's untrue. Asked if he had tied her up in a horse shed, Belcher said, definitely not. He denied striking or spanking her bottom. Mr Wright referred to Belcher's full comment interview in which he mentioned rough and tumble with the complainant. Belcher described this in the witness box as just rolling around, play fighting and playing around. That was it, he told the jury. The trial was adjourned yesterday after one of the jurors developed COVID. The rising tide of danger. A study has revealed the areas of Worcester at risk of being underwater by the end of the decade. Rising sea levels mean that by 2030, large parts of the country could find themselves submerged. And it's not just coastal areas that are under threat. Low-lying areas near the River Severn, which is already prone to flooding, as seen earlier this year, are at risk of being permanently underwater. Parts of the city centre, including Pitchcroft, Hilton Road, Gellivelt Park and Worcestershire County Cricket Club's new road ground, could be submerged in just eight years. A map produced by Climate Central, an independent group of scientists and journalists that investigates the impact of climate change, also shows that large parts of Diglis and Lower Wick are at risk, as are areas south of the city where the Severn meets the team. Looking further north in Worcester, areas of Beverley, Northwick and Hallow could find themselves underwater. Holt Fleet, which sits on the Severn, is at risk, according to the research, as are villages further south in the county, including Severn Stoke, Clifton and Uckinhall. And it'll come as no surprise to anyone who has encountered the effects of storms that large parts of Upton and Tewkesbury are at risk of being submerged places that require deeper investigation of risk. Climate Central says its sea level rise and coastal flood maps are based on peer-reviewed science in leading journals. As these maps incorporate big data sets, 
which always include some error. These maps should be regarded as screening tools to identify places that may require deeper investigation of risk, it says. Areas lower than the selected water level and with an unobstructed path to the ocean are shaded red. By default, areas below the water level but that appear to be protected by ridges are not shaded. Our approach makes it easy to map any scenario quickly and reflects threats from permanent future sea level rise well. However, the accuracy of these maps drops when assessing risks from extreme flood events. Our maps are not based on physical storm and flood simulations and do not take into account factors such as erosion, future changes in the frequency or intensity of storms, inland flooding or contributions from rainfall or rivers. A health campaigner who wrote a regular column for the Worcester News has died at the age of 80. Paul Crawford, known to readers for his patients' view pieces, became involved in a number of health campaigns in Worcester following his own cancer diagnosis in 2007. Mr Crawford, who was born in Bromsgrove in August 1941 and his first job was as a pharmacist with Worcestershire Farmers, he then worked for Parks Classic Confectionery. He had a marketing degree and worked at Wolseley Hughes in Worcester before joining Salamander Engineering in Sutton Coalfield, where he met his wife Anne. His last job before he retired was as a service area manager. He married Monica in 1967 and they had a son Dominic in 1970. He married his second wife Anne in 1985 and two years later they had a daughter Emma. Dominic and his wife, Alison, have three boys, Jack, Harry and George. Emma and her husband, Ashley, have a daughter called Xanthe. Mr Crawford was very keen on gardening and he and Anne had moved into a bungalow just before the first lockdown and were loving spending time in the garden growing fruit and vegetables. He also enjoyed reading and music. Diagnosed with stage 3 throat cancer in 2007, he took an interest in local cancer services and campaigned to keep head and neck surgery in Worcester. He was the patient representative for Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust in 2013 and was involved in the establishment of the Oncology Centre at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, making cancer treatment more accessible for city residents. Back in 2013, he told the Worcester News he was honoured to be selected as a patient representative. My main priority is to encourage the board to always consider the patient's perspective and to offer patient views during discussions, he said. My commitment will be to ensure the safest Gold Star medical services for Worcestershire patients. Mr Crawford's twice-monthly column for the Worcester News advised readers on a wide range of health issues, including why it's important to keep hydrated as you get older, the importance of eye tests and healthy eating. He passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on Sunday, April the 3rd. I couldn't resist this article. The headline is, Grumpy Cat is Feline Just Fine. <laughs> 
My version is online dating for Moggies, as you will hear. The Moggy in question is a very handsome boy. He's dark tabby with white bib and white paws, and his name is Todd. So here we go. A grumpy cat at a Worcestershire rescue centre has had his fortunes turned around since meeting his girlfriend. Oh. Todd arrived at the Holdings RSPCA rehoming centre in February. And until now, it didn't seem like there was much hope in his finding a new family. But staff now think they've figured out why he was so down in the dumps. It turns out he just needed a little company. Claire Wood from the Worcester and Mid-Worcestershire RSPCA branch said, Despite being super handsome, Todd <laughs> is unfortunately a shy boy who can be a bit grumpy and hissy, so he keeps getting overlooked. However, we have recently introduced him to a young female kitten and we have definitely seen an improvement in his demeanour. Now he no longer hides away in his bed. Instead, he sits up on his shelf watching the world go by and when his girlfriend <laughs> pays a visit, he rubs noses with her Eskimo style. As a result, the rescue centre will be reconsidering his bio, which previously had him down as being an only pet. Now, however, it seems that given the right introductions, <laughs> he could thrive alongside a female companion. Mrs Wood added, If you have a young lady cat who would enjoy the company of a handsome, slightly complicated and somewhat misunderstood guy, then please do get in touch. Deep down, our Todd is a lover, not a fighter. He just needs a girl who can show him that humans aren't all bad. OK, dating for cats. I love like it. it. Like it. Uh, there are some pictures here of the new block paving in St Swithin Street. So new images show the footway and drainage paving work being undertaken at the Trinity on Trinity Street as part of Phase 2 of the Future High Streets Fund. The pictures were shared by the official Worcestershire County Council Highways and Travel Twitter account. Phase 2 of the Future High Streets Fund consists of revamping Trinity Street and St Swithin Street. According to Gov.uk, the Future High Streets Fund aims to renew and reshape town centres and high streets in a way that drives growth, improves experience and ensures future sustainability. Highway maintenance workers are at the site working on repaving Trinity Street and installing road closure signage for pedestrians and drivers. During the closure of Trinity Street, the St Swithin Street taxi rank will be unavailable from 6am to 6pm and the cross taxi rank will be unavailable 10pm no sorry 10am to 6pm for 7 days a week. For the next five weeks, a temporary taxi rank will be available on Queen Street between the hours of 10am and 6pm. 
There will be no motor vehicle access to St Swithin Street from Trinity Street between 10 p.m. to 6. No, I did it again. Sorry, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. seven days a week for approximately five weeks due to the works. Trinity Street from the junction of Queen Street will be closed to motor vehicles between the hours of 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. for the same time. The works are also due to affect disabled parking available in the area. Disabled parking found near the turning into the cross from St Swithin Street is set to close for 10 weeks starting from Monday, April the 11th. Spaces on Trinity Street are also due to be affected starting from Wednesday, April the 13th for 10 weeks. Worcester's historic Scala Theatre will be converted into a new arts venue and the former co-op building on Angel Street will undergo a major and much-needed transformation. Victim thought she was going to die. The terrified victim of domestic violence, who was strangled, punched and had her head split open, feared she would die in both bloody attacks. Jonathan Pettigan's victim said she had become a recluse since the assaults, one of which happened in her own home, and left her in hospital with a suspected fractured skull and her hair matted with blood after he pushed her into a windowsill. The 46-year-old of Robeson Close Droitwich, who has a string of previous convictions was convicted of assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, following a trial at Worcester Magistrates' Court. Officers at the scene found her on the hallway floor and tried to keep her from falling asleep until she could be taken to the Alexandra Hospital, wrapping a bandage around her head. Magistrates rejected Pettigan's claim that he was acting in self-defence, as the chairman told him that, even on his own evidence, the attack clearly failed the test for that argument to succeed. The bench accepted the two had been involved in a heated argument. Pettigan had already admitted another ABH against the same victim, committed while on bail for the first attack. By his denial of the first attack, however, the victim was forced to come to court and give evidence, breaking down in tears as she described what happened during an assault on March the 3rd. Her victim personal statement revealed the toll of the abuse. Tim Talbot Webb, who prosecuted in the trial, read the victim's statement. I get terrified when anyone comes to my door. I'm afraid of someone barging into my house. Because of the strangulation, her throat is still sore and it has affected her voice. She also said she no longer had the confidence to go to the gym. The court heard how she ran from her home with blood coming from her nostril, that Pettigan struck her face several times, strangled her and bit her finger. I don't go out anymore, she said telling officers she had become a recluse. I thought I was going to die both times John attacked me. Darren Smith, 
chairman of the bench, said the offences were clearly outside of our sentencing range, which means Pettigan will be sentenced by a judge at the Crown Court. OK, there's a picture here of a man dressed as an asparagus, holding a whole uh, line of asparaguses. Asparagus season is back and celebrations are kicking off this weekend. For most people in England, April the 23rd is recognised as St George's Day, but here in Worcestershire it is also a day for all things asparagus. National Asparagus Day kicks off the Asparagus Festival, six weeks of celebrating the Vale's flagship crop, said to be some of the best asparagus in the world. Angela Taylor, tourism officer at Witchhaven, said St George's Day and National Asparagus Day is the highlight of horticultural life in the Vale of Evesham. The fun gets started this Saturday at the National Trust's uh, pub, The Fleece. The pub, recently named Country Pub of the Year by Camera, Shakespeare Worcestershire branch, will host a range of activities throughout the day, coinciding with the launch of a new asparagus menu. Pebworth Morris will be dancing at 11am and then again at 7.30pm when they will be joined by Belle Devane and Bowbrook Morris groups. In between the dancing, the lockdown layabouts will be playing classical music. There will also be a few colourful characters to meet on the day including Gus the Asparagus Man and St George himself. There is also the world's only Asparamansa, Jemima Packington, who predicts the future by throwing asparagus. In December, she made several predictions about what 2022 had in store. According to the asparagus, tense times will continue on the international front, but conflicts will be avoided. And, despite all the bad press, Boris Johnson will prevail as Prime Minister. I remember reading these. The Vale Asparagus Festival first launched in 2006, largely a result of the marketing efforts of the British Asparagus Growers Association. But it was 2007 when it really became big. Thanks to coverage from national magazines, newspapers, TV and radio stations, with many media organisations labelling it as the British Asparagus, Asparagus Festival. That's hard to say. This year's festival runs until June the 21st, with several events planned beyond the opening day. On Saturday, May the 7th, there will be an asparagus eating festival at the Asian Food Festival on Crown Meadow. Later in the month, on Sunday the 29th, the asparagus auction will make its long-awaited return after two years spent online. The Fleece Courtyard will welcome Silver Band as guests bid for the largest, freshest and greenest produce, which will be sold off by local auctioneer Colin Jelfs. There are also plans to reschedule the Great English Asparagus Run, <laughs> which had originally been planned for April the 23rd. So I guess you might have to like asparagus? I think just a little bit. It would be useful. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I walked down to Colin Chant's house today, uh, through the city centre, down the high street, what did I see? Well, there was a man playing a mouth organ, as you do, and there were people milling around, 
and a few youngsters letting off steam. And it was all as usual. My next article is about a very different view of the high street and it's headed when cavalry dealt with city riots. Despite having a large military barracks on its periphery, it's not often Worcester has called in the army to restore order on the streets. But that's just what happened in 1831. And what a sight it must have been. For galloping down the high street came the glory boys of the 7th Queen's Own Hussars, veterans of the Battle of Waterloo, sabres drawn and meaning business. Their presence had been requested by the city's mayor, Henry Clifton, after things started getting a bit tasty when the House of Lords rejected the reform bill, legislation which proposed to widen the voting spectrum. A large mob began setting fire to buildings and the forces of law and order, such as they were, couldn't cope. Riots had already taken place in High Street and elsewhere in Worcester on November the 5th, 1831, after the failure of the reform law, but had largely been contained. However, when news came in of serious disorder in Bristol, where much terror had been caused, the rioters gained a second wind. The situation was inflamed by the fact that the recorder of Bristol, Sir Charles Wetherill, a fanatical anti-reformer, had family in Worcester. It was said his hardline stance had provoked the trouble, during which the mob took over Bristol for several days and burnt down public buildings. It was not a quantum leap to think the same might happen in Worcester. Mayor Clifton was worried. So preparing for a proposed day of protest in the city, he swore in 400 special constables and sent a request for the 7th Hussars, a cavalry regiment with a long and glorious history, to be moved to Droitwich. As it happened, the day passed quietly. But then, as often follows... It all kicked off in the evening. A fire was started at the back of a shop in High Street. Crowds gathered and a ruckus broke out. When a fire engine arrived, its hose was cut and that was the signal for a full-scale riot. Windows were smashed and damage caused to shops and property alike as city church bells tolled to warn of the rampage. Up against it, the mayor at last sent for the hussars. But as the troopers arrived through Barbourne just after midnight, they were met by a hail of stones from a waiting crowd, and Clifton was himself hit by a rock as he read the Riot Act, literally, on the steps <laughs> of the Guild Hall. Ordered to clear the streets, the hussars drew their sabres and got stuck in. <laughs> There was a brief battle during which several rioters received sabre cuts, non-serious, before the mob dispersed and melted away into the darkness. 
30 people were taken into custody. And although most were conditionally released, a few were sent to the treadmill in the city jail in Friar Street to repent their sins. And that, apart from a few drunk squaddies from Norton Barracks fighting in pubs, was the last time the military was engaged in violence in Worcester. And the pictures illustrating this two-page article are very interesting. They show the toll house in Barbourne, where the Ombersley and Droitwich roads merge, and it's mentioned, no mention, whether the gatekeeper tried to get the Seventh Hussars to pay a toll <laughs> or what their verbal response might have been. There's a picture of Worcester's old city jail in Friar Street on the corner with Union Street. This was later converted into Laslett's armhouses and it was one of the last prisons in England to have a treadmill. And there's also a Victorian engraving of Worcester High Street, seemingly much wider than now and with enough room for a decent cavalry charge. You see, I always thought a treadmill was a, a torture instrument. Mm. Yeah, see, it was. I was right. OK, a Worcester woman whose nephew died due to complications with a brain tumour has praised the efforts of a charity Slidathon that has raised more than £7,000. Fern Bradburn's two children, Fraser, 10, and four-year-old Isaiah, were two of many across the country taking part in the charity event in memory of her nephew, Larson Roberts. The challenge involved children either going down the same slide 26 times or choosing 26 different slides to go down to fundraise for the charity Larson's Pride, which was set up to help children with brain tumours. Fern said, overall it was just incredibly heartwarming to see the impact of this challenge that Larson made. It's just the most amazing way to celebrate his life and his memory, and has been incredibly emotional for all of us as well. Children from all over the country were getting involved in the challenge over the Easter holidays, with more than £7,000 raised so far. Larson had an extremely rare type of tumour, which is just 10 known cases globally, with no known survivors or cure. His brain tumour was originally misdiagnosed as a lazy eye, and was further misdiagnosed again with benign optic pathway gly glioma. Yeah. At just four and a half years old, Larson endured 11-hour brain surgery and lost his right eye completely. Larson passed away aged five due to the toxicity of the side effects associated with chemotherapy. Before he died, Larson created the Slidathon in 2019, which involved him going down 26 slides in one day to raise money for charity. Holly Roberts, Larson's mum, originally from Worcester and now Pembrokeshire, said, what we are trying to highlight is that a small person can make a big difference. Larson created the first Slidathon challenge when he was just five years old and actually took the challenge on whilst he was still going through chemotherapy. I still have lots of friends and connections in Worcester and it has been amazing seeing the support. <coughs> to raise over £7,000 as children with an average age of under 11 is just incredible and all of the money is going towards helping children with brain tumours. 
council candidate resigns from party. A potential councillor has resigned from the Conservatives ahead of next month's election and will now be standing as an independent. Joe Amos, son of outgoing councillor Bill Amos and nephew of city and county councillor Alan Amos, had put himself forward to stand for the Conservatives in the city's Bedwardine ward on May the 5th but it appears he was snubbed in favour of the son of another current Tory councillor. The ward, which had been represented by Bill since 2018, will now be contested by Shavaz Ditter, son of current city and county councillor and former Worcester Mayor Alla Ditter, with Joe Amos now standing as an independent. Joe Amos said he was quitting the Tories as the party had become a vehicle to serve the personal interests of two individuals and had been filled with people who were voting how they were told to. He has refused to name the individuals he referred to. The City's Conservative Association has emphatically denied a claim by Mr Amos that a senior member of the party had said, we don't care about Bedwardine, they'll vote for anyone we put up. Announcing his resignation from the party, Joe Amos said, I joined the party to serve my local community and engage in political debate. But it was very clear at the Unconstitutional Executive Committee meeting in November that the party has now become just a vehicle to serve the personal interests of two individuals. It's been stuffed with unknown people who have no interest in the party except to turn up when instructed and vote the way they've been told to. The final straw was when I heard a very senior member of the party say, we don't care about Bedwardine, they'll vote for anyone we put up. Such contempt and arrogance for the loyal community I've lived in all my life. A large number of long-serving and highly respected members are also deeply disaffected by this entryism, and it is clear that it is only going to get even worse. A statement by Worcester Conservative Association Chair Chris Rimmel said, Worcester Conservatives are very surprised and saddened at Joe's decision, as it was only about a month ago that he told party members he was a lifelong Conservative who had no intention of leaving. Joe, along with another individual, put themselves forward for consideration this year and he was unsuccessful at a meeting of over 30 local members who chose the Bedwardine candidate. I know he was very disappointed at this outcome, but as a democratic party, we always respect the will of members. I know Joe felt that because, of his, because his father and his uncle have represented Bedwardine, he should automatically get the position. But as an open and inclusive organisation, we only select candidates on merit. The parents of an incredibly loved little girl who died of pneumonia have shared details of how money donated in her memory will be spent. More than £10,000 has been raised to honour the life of Daisy Seven, who died in February at the age of just three. 
Daisy's funeral took place a few weeks later, with up to 500 motorcyclists leading a procession through Worcester and onto the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury. Now Daisy's parents, Sarah and Paul, who both work for West Mercia Police, have revealed how they're going to use the money donated in memory of their daughter. In an update on Daisy's GoFundMe page, Sarah said, So far we've made a donation to Daisy's nursery for something to be created that her friends and other children that attend the nursery can use and enjoy. They've chosen to use the funds to build an all-weather shelter in their garden, Daisy's Den. Daisy loves spending time outside, but as she hadn't yet learnt to walk independently, this obviously meant that her main way of getting around was via crawling. As much as she liked being outside, she didn't appreciate it too much when it meant she got to get wet in the rain, and there were occasions when she went outside at nursery, then took herself straight back inside when she realised it was raining. The shelter will mean that the kids, especially those of limited mobility, will have an area where they can spend time outside comfortably, no matter what the weather is like. Sarah and Paul are also talking to Worcestershire Royal Hospital about donating a total of £5,000 to improve the garden outside the Chapel of Rest and to improve the facilities for both parents and staff on the Riverbank Ward, which is the children's ward. We are still sorting out where we are going to bury Daisy's ashes and need to organise a headstone, so some of the funds will be used to cover that, Sarah added. We still have some donations coming in, so whatever is left after the fee that GoFundMe have taken and the rest of her funeral costs will be split between positive about Down syndrome and the Snows Leon Centre in Worcester. Accused has no solicitor. A 23-year-old man who threatened bushwhackers' door staff with a knife has turned up at court once again without a solicitor or barrister. Martin Kolar of Acliffe Road, Worcester, was due to be sentenced at Worcester Crown Court in March, but had not attended a probation appointment or secured legal representation, which meant the sentence could not go ahead, causing yet another delay. At a hearing at Hereford Crown Court on Friday, Kolar had once again not secured legal representation, forcing the judge to adjourn yet again, this time until May the 17th. We have previously reported how Kolar was told he faces up to three years in prison for the Category 1A offence outside the popular nightclub in the city's Trinity Street. He has already admitted having a knife and unlawfully and intentionally threatening another person or persons unknown in such a way that there was an immediate risk of serious physical harm to that person when he appeared before city magistrates last month. The threats were made against Dorstaff on July the 3rd last year the defendant using a T-shirt to conceal his face. Magistrates declined jurisdiction. Kolar will be sentenced at Worcester Crown Court for the knife offence and assault occasionally by actual bodily harm, which he admitted on July the 31st, and a further assault, which he admitted on November the 4th last year. The ABH happened on July the 9th last year and the other assault between July the 8th and 11th last year.
Sumreen Afsar, prosecuting, said there had been an initial altercation between Kolar and the door staff at Bushwhackers before the defendant returned to Trinity Street with the knife. He has brandished it to door staff outside Bushwhackers nightclub. This has been seen on CCTV, said Mrs Afsar. She said it was a Category 1A offence within the sentencing guidelines. The reason for that is it's an offence committed with a bladed article, a knife, and committed where there's a risk of serious disorder, she said. The starting point within the guidelines is two years in prison, with a range available to the sentencing judge of between one year, six months and three years. Richard Hull, defending, said, I have to concede it's a Category 1A offence threatening door staff. They're not emergency workers, they are door staff and they're being threatened with a knife. Mr Hull described how Kolar held a T-shirt over his face to conceal his identity and that there were a number of aggravating features. He described the ABH as a similar matter in character to the one which happened outside Bushwhackers, but explained that this happened instead outside a cinema. School children have been left to walk on the road in villages where speeding cars and overweight lorries have been a constant issue. Councillors in Hallow and Broadheath have voiced concerns about motorists in the area, with the situation getting increasingly worse since lockdown. Daniel Walton, Malvern Hills District Councillor for Broadheath, believes more needs to be done to tackle the problem of HGVs and speeding cars in the village. He said HGVs contravening weight restrictions through Lower Broadheath is a constant issue. The police, when they respond to calls, are very good and have limited the use by companies on the roads through the village, but when that focus goes away, the lorries return. Highways and the County Council have been ineffective in limiting speeding through the village and the issues of overweight lorries has returned since the end of lockdown. Again, the County Council have done nothing to stop it. His concerns were echoed by Hallow Parish Council. A spokesman said, The council is aware of residents' complaints and concerns, particularly relating to volume of HGVs and speed, and also that some of the roads used do not have paths and require people to walk in the road, including children going to and from school. In an effort to stop HGV drivers from breaching restrictions, West Mercia police officers have repositioned road signs in Hallow and Lower Broadheath. However, Councillor Walton believes this is not enough, but is unable to do anything more himself. He said, as district councillor, I've done all I can. Working with residents to increase awareness of the problem and dangers being caused, I've stood and recorded misuse myself, but something needs to be done to ensure heavy vehicles stop using these roads. The county council also claims it has done all it can to address the problem. A spokesman said the County Council has done everything in our power as the Highway Authority to prevent HGVs using unsuitable roads whilst the closure has been in place on Martley Road, which is due to end this weekend. We've ensured that the diversion route along suitable roads has been clearly signposted during the closure and we've constantly liaised with the local county councillor and local businesses affected by the closure throughout and we have worked with the businesses to ensure delivery drivers followed the diversions. 
We have been liaising with our colleagues at West Mercia Police to ensure traffic in these lanes is monitored and any offences during the closure are appropriately enforced by them and we will continue to do so for the remainder of the closure. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. So thank you to Moira and also to Alex for helping us so well and to Carol Hartle for leading the admin provision. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, so here are the obituaries. Stan Ching, retired railway man, passed away peacefully at his home on 17th of April 2022, aged 91 years. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Monday 9th of May at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be left at the service. Eileen Elsie Cummings, née Benz, passed away peacefully at home aged 85 on 27th of March after a short illness. Dearly beloved wife of Malcolm and mother of Andrew and Philip. The service will be at Wire Forest Crematorium on the 5th of May at 11.30am. Again, family flowers only please and donations if wished to Kemp Hospice in Kidderminster. Dorothy Joan Langford, née Williams, passed away the 6th of April 2022, aged 92 years. The funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium on Friday 6th of May at 3.15. Family flowers only, but donations for Worcester Breast Unit, please. Sam Meredith of Worcester passed away peacefully in hospital on 18th of April, aged 88 years. The funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 5th of May at 3.15. Family flowers only, please. Monique Rubri of Worcester sadly passed away in hospital on 10th of April, aged 78. For details of the funeral service, please contact EJ Gummery and Son. Roger Bradnock of Worcester passed away peacefully in his sleep on 13th of April, aged 80 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday 4th of May at 1pm. No flowers by request, please. Devore Anne Lockyer, retired post office employee, passed away peacefully on 17th of April, aged 87 years. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 5th of May at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Marilyn Carol Beckwith sadly passed away on Thursday the 14th of April at the Chase Rest Home, Welland, after a long battle with dementia, aged 78 years. A funeral service will be held at the Vale Crematorium on Monday the 9th of May at 4pm. Family flowers only, donations to the Alzheimer's Society. Phyllis Faulkner, née Smith, passed away peacefully at home on the 10th of April 2022, aged 93 years. 
Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 29th of April at 10am. Family flowers only, please. Donations to Marie Curie. Dave Harrison passed away peacefully on the 11th of April 2022, aged 83 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Friday the 29th of April at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations to the Salvation Army. Jean Irene Whitehouse passed away peacefully at home on the 9th of April 2022, aged 83 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 27th of April at 1pm. Family flowers only, donations to Midlands Air Ambulance. Sarah Sunita Richardson, née Burgess, late of Richardson's newsagents and Sarah Worth hairdressers, passed away peacefully in hospital on April the 14th, 2022, aged 80 years. Funeral service at St John's Church, Worcester, on Monday, May the 9th at 12.45pm. Family flowers only, donations for St John's Church. Michaela Marula, Mary, aged 93 years, 1928 to 2022, passed peacefully with her family around her on Tuesday the 12th of April at Juniper House, St John's. The funeral service takes place on Wednesday the 11th of May 2022 at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, at 2pm. Elsie Elizabeth Roberts, née Palmer, passed away peacefully on 7th of April 2022, aged 90 years. Funeral service at St Stephen's Church on Tuesday the 3rd of May at 1pm, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please but donations to St. Richard's Hospice. Mm.